Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hangtime Podcast. Damaris Lewis, Sports Illustrated model, is joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast. You have great personality. You can hear it in your voice. Would you date an NBA player? I'm open to anything, but Just, respect. Old school. February. Like, I listen to Sinatra in the morning. You need to accept that. <laughs> <laughs> so I hear you're single, then. <laughs> With your host. Seku Smith, Lang Whitaker, and Rick Fox. Our next guest should have been our first guest, Isaiah Thomas. How do you think you would play in today's NBA with the rules the way they are? Be honest. Uh, average <laughs> We will win a lot. <laughs> and it's, it's our main man, Roderick Turner from the Los Angeles Times. Hey, too, can I say this first? <laughs> you know you when can. When I was covering the Lakers, when Rick Fox played, I had hair. They wore me out. Now it's time for the tip-off. Welcome in. Game seven of the finals on tap at American Airlines Arena. Welcome to the Hangtime Podcast. Thank you, Smith, from the Hangtime blog at NBA.com. Lang Whitaker. Yo, I'm chilling here. At the epic, chilling at the epic, getting ready for an epic game seven. How fitting is that, my man? Um, I don't know. If, I don't know if game seven will be epic, but it's going to be hard to top game <laughs> six. <laughs> you better believe it's going to be hard to top that. Lang, I, you know, watching it from, you know, all this, these miles away and seeing – the the rise and fall of emotions in that crowd and on on the the expressions of the players the coaches that thing felt like we hadn't seen five previous games it felt like hey this is the one game shot for the championship you know you either win or lose it. that's what it felt like I know obviously you know there were games that preceded it in the series but there's something about a closeout game like that and, and obviously a game seven is going to have a similar feel we're just it seems like the players are playing with that all-or-nothing figure that you expect when you get in that sort of predicament. I mean, it, and it, it showed finally on the faces of both teams. to me. I think the Heat players definitely did down the stretch. I, I don't know if the Spurs uh, – I, I didn't really get that feeling from the Spurs in overtime, at least. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, in the arena last night, it felt like something special. Um, you know, there was times – uh, down the stretch where the little area where I was sitting with John Schumann from NBA.com and we were uh, in the sort of behind one of the baskets in like the middle level, like the, the 300 level, and it felt like it was vibrating at times <laughs> down the stretch. Uh, the crowd was into it. They were loud. Um, and, and when the fourth quarter started down 10, there was a – there was a the Heat were down 10, and you could feel in the air people were nervous. Uh, was this the season? Was it – and I mean, it almost felt like it was more than that because you felt, is this the legacy of of the big three here in Miami, or what? What is all this going to mean? And uh, but then the you know the fourth quarter started immediately. I think the the Heat hit a three and then a two, and uh, and then you know Mike Miller's shoe came off, and then LeBron's headband came off. And <laughs> I tweeted, just wait till Birdman takes his tattoos off. You know, 
that was about the only thing left. But it was uh, it was an awesome fit finish to the game and uh, uh incredible atmosphere is one of the best games I've ever been to and uh I, I just don't know how how in the world game 7 can top that but I kind of hope it does. Yeah, do you do you feel are you worried like I know some people say hey, you know, um it's anticlimactic when you have a game 6 like this and game 7 favors the home team. They win, you know, whatever it is 80 some percent of the time in a game 7 the home team to win that game. I didn't get that feeling. I I felt like the Spurs put forth the kind of game six effort you want a team to, and that instead of shrinking and this whole thing eating them alive for a day and a half before they play game seven, they got to be confident. They got to be confident. They had the lead. They were up five with 28 seconds left on Miami's floor. The the gold ropes come out. You know the the Heat players talked about seeing the seeing the trophy get wheeled out. I mean it was that close to being over. Yeah. But he, and, and that close to the Spurs hoisting that trophy, I gotta believe these guys, both sides, are gonna show up for Game Seven playing like gangbusters. I wrote about the Spurs after the game um, on NBA.com, and then today I went to practice and wrote about the Spurs too. And I, from what I what I wrote today was that I, I don't know if there's a team better equipped to handle being in this situation than the Spurs because they're such a practical team, and they take everything you know with a grain of salt, and so they. As bad as that loss was last night, they have all these veteran guys. Uh, they have a system that they trust. They have a coach that they trust. Um, even as bad as Ginobili played last night and, and Tony Parker wasn't as good as he's been throughout the series, uh, they trust all those guys too. So yeah. I feel like you know, for, for a team to be able to handle that, it, this is the team. It, it, it was also interesting, you know, after they talked about today that after the game last night, they all went out to dinner as a team. Yeah, yeah. And, and Tim Duncan said, you know, what, I mean, what is, he goes, it was a good thing to do because other than that, you just go sit in your room by yourself and beat yourself up about it. So instead they went out to dinner and Tony Parker said, you know, they, they told stories and, and like he talked about um, playing in the European championships with France a couple of years ago and they, they lost a game. They were up seven with 35 seconds left and they lost and him and Diaw had been on that team. And so they told all the guys about that and they all kind of were able to bond over it and uh, sort of turn the page. Duncan sort of alluded to, like, it, it wasn't – I don't think it was really like a clear-the-air kind of dinner. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. it was more just like this was, hey, guys, let's just, you know, hang out and look, we all went through this together and we're all going to make it through this together. Um, and I, I just got the sense from practice today that they – it's not a lingering thing, that game six loss. They're going to come back in game seven and be the team that, uh, that got them here. And, and Duncan said, look, I mean, if you told us at the beginning of the season that – you could play game seven of the NBA finals uh, to win the title, you know, we would all say, great. <laughs> that's yeah. what we want. So uh, that's where they are. Yeah, that's what I love it. That's what I love about it. Um, and I love, you know, I love about the attitudes of both sides. You know, you can watch the, the post-game presses on NBA TV and see the attitude and the, the, you know, folks are saying pretty much the same thing that, hey, if you're given us an opportunity, you know, to play game seven, and they get it at home, of course. You know, right. He just told you, absolutely, you know, hell yes, we want to play that game. So I'm feeling good about Game 7, Lang. Um, we got a special guest this week on the Hang Time Podcast. And no, it's not Rick Fox, who we are still trying to locate. I think he got lost between San Antonio and Miami somewhere, L.A. Who? Exactly. A um, main man, Rick Fox, missing in action for another week, unfortunately. Never, but Never heard of him. Exactly. <laughs> we, got, we got a pretty good fill-in this week, though, Lang. Um 
Phil Jackson, the legendary coach of the Chicago Bulls, Los Angeles Lakers, the man with all the rings, is joining us here this week. Had a chance to talk with him. Some reflections on Game Six, looking ahead to Game Seven. Uh, some coaching stuff, a little bit of everything. A nice conversation with Phil Jackson for you right here on the Hang Time Podcast. Did some quality time here on the Hang Time Podcast with the legend himself, Phil Jackson, joining us for the first time. Coach, how are you doing, sir? And uh, how are you enjoying this, this NBA Finals? Thanks. I'm doing fine. Um, I was uh, as surprised as everybody else at the comeback last night. Uh, Miami uh, found a way to push it into overtime. Uh, you know, they had one run in the fourth quarter, and then they had to make the last second-ditch effort in the last uh, minute to pull that thing back out. And uh, it's pretty remarkable. I mean, there's so many... Uh, questions about what to do. Would you put Duncan on the bench again if you had a chance to secure a rebound with him and uh, finish it? Would you foul Bosch immediately after rebound? I mean, there are so many old questionable things there that uh, have been there, but I, I know the feeling and uh, Greg Popovich is going through some hard sleep uh, last night, you know, interrupted by uh, you know, a couple three-point shots that changed the outcome of the championship. Sure. Coach, I, I was likening it to uh, Game 7 of the 2010 Finals between the Lakers and the Celtics. And Kobe was having one of those weird games where his shot wasn't falling. Um, you know, the, the Celtics were coming after you guys. And it took Metta World Peace and, and Pau Gasol and everybody else to, you know, to chip in and help save that game, basically. Did, did you get a sense watching last night that no matter what LeBron did, it was going to take some heroics, you know, some, somebody like Ray Allen or someone else to step up and make a play as well to help them steal that game? That went through my mind. You know, I know that uh, they were down by 13, 14 points at the mid, end of the middle of that third quarter and had to push it just to get it down to 10. They scored the first basket on a three-pointer to start the fourth quarter. And I said, oh, that's a bad sign for the Spurs. But, uh, yeah, I, I think there's some similarities in there. Uh, you know, Kobe was outside the, you know, the system in that uh, Celtic game trying to do so much on his own. And, uh, you know, it just seemed to all backfire on him. And, you know, players kept encouraging him to stay inside, you know, our offensive system so we get shots out of our out of rhythm in our game. And, uh, you know, he finally did in the fourth quarter, and our defense also was able to pick up a little bit. But, um, you know, with with the series that you have going on now, you know, most of it's, uh, you know, advanced by screen roll defense. And, you know, obviously San Antonio has a defensive plan that's worked really well until that fourth quarter, and then LeBron just kind of foisted the team on his shoulders and uh, you know, took over in a game that uh, really needed him to respond. And even at that, you know, in the last, you know, minute he had three turnovers, minute and a half he had like three turnovers, which could have easily cost them the series. But, you know, I think it was a great thing for him to be vindicated by the team coming back to, to win that game. Sure, sure. Phil Jackson joining us here on the Hang Time Podcast. Coach, there's so much, you know, in terms of legacy talk when you get in the finals and you have, you know, we got four finals MVPs 
playing in this series, you know, uh, a storied franchise, obviously, in the Spurs, a great coach in Rick Popovich. On the other side, you know, another great young coach in Eric Spolstra. What The chess match for Game 7 in terms of preparation, it, does it make it more difficult knowing that, you know, you got this self-contained game that really takes the rest of the series and kicks it aside, and this is just a championship game. It's a Game 7 where you prepare to win this one game. I mean, What's what's the what's the, the strategy? The major thing that's going on in this game is re recuperation for the Spurs. You know they're on the road, um, and is Duncan's knee okay after uh, you know Bosch rolled up on his knee very late in the game? Um, you know, obviously Tony Parker looks like he could play through his injury, although. Took him quite a while to get going last night. He, he was heroic at the end. But um, I think the the whole thing's a matter of health issues. Uh, Miami's healthier and uh, and at home and rested. And game sevens are games of nerves and uh, high anxiety. We'll see. You know, we'll see if the it affects the three point shooting. Last night, I thought Danny Green had a really a, a shot of three-pointers wide open that would kind of change the run that Miami was on. And, you know, it, uh, he didn't make it. We were all kind of surprised he didn't make that one. Uh, about five minutes to go, and Miami had been on a run, and they just needed something to kind of stem the tide. And, you know, he had a wide-open shot. But, you know, is Green going to you know, be a difference? Is Allen going to be a difference on the other side? Uh, of course, Miller has been a big shot maker for them, too. And, uh, you know, they opted last night to go with the spread offense with Miller, Allen, um, you know, guard course, Chalmers, and uh, Bosch in the lineup and keeping, um, you know, weight on the bench all the way to the three-minute mark uh, because they wanted to spread that court out to deny the help that San Antonio provides. And, uh, you know, which you know, limits what LeBron can do. So, you know, are they going to open that court up a little bit and, uh, you know, limit Wade's minutes? Or are they going to put LeBron on the bench and allow Wade to have that open floor? Looks like more of a, an open floor plan for the most part for Miami. And with uh, San Antonio, can they go back inside? And will Tim be healthy enough to have another big game? And, you know, that was really the thing that carried them in the first half, first three quarters of last night's game. No doubt. Um, Coach, you, you know, I know these sorts of games, it gets everybody, you know, kind of fired up, obviously, when you get to this point in the season. So much has been talked about in terms of your future and, and what that entails. Do these kind of games make you long for being in the middle of that mix at all? No. Uh-uh. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm not, uh, you know, I look at the, the faces on these coaches and know what kind of pressure they're under and uh, how difficult it is to, you know, sit there and watch uh, the hopes of your team rise and sink with a free throw or a missed play or a turnover or whatever, or a referee's call. And, uh, you know, that kind of anxiety, you know, I, I, don't miss, I don't miss that part of it at all. I miss the... the um, you know, I used to tell my assistant coach, we get to watch the College World Series, uh, Baseball World Series, 
because no other basketball is on. Otherwise, we watch basketball all the way through the spring. Exactly. But, uh, no, it's it's a it's a really a a great series. I mean, it's been a lot of seaside game seesaw games except for game one and six. They've all been you know kind of decidedly won by either opponent. And you know we'll see what uh, Stevan brings in this uh, order. It seems like it could be a very classic series. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody's hoping so. I think uh, Phil Jackson joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast. Coach, six coaches get fired this year or, or don't get new contracts with winning teams, playoff teams. Does that what does that say about the state of the coaching profession right now in the NBA and where it's headed, or where do you think it's headed in terms of how teams are assessing the jobs these coaches do? Well, you know, I think four of those cases you could just throw right up to the fact that GMs were not there that hired the coaches. And as a result, you have a situation where you have to have that communication between a general manager and and, uh, and the coach. And the, the general managers like to pick coaches. Uh, and the owners like to have general managers pick coaches because it takes the onus off them and puts ownership on the general managers. Now, he's picked the, the coach. He's gone to bat for him. Let's see this teamwork work out in, uh, in um, you know, productivity. So I think, you know, with, uh, you know, Denver losing their general manager, player personnel director, uh, obviously the Clippers had lost theirs um, uh, to Portland last year. Um, uh, we had a situation in Brooklyn where, you know, obviously the, Coach was fired, and they had an interim coach who did a, a good job. P.J. Carlissimo did a good job. Right. You had the Memphis situation where there's a total change in philosophy uh, with new ownership bringing in a general manager that, uh, you know, his philosophy collided with, uh, you know, Lionel Hollins. And so those are, you know, kind of off the cuff, you things that would, you know, not raise an eyebrow to people that are on the inside of this game. You know, there are other ones that obviously happen. Um, you know, Michael only lasted one year with his guy in Charlotte. Um, you know, Lawrence Frank in, in Detroit, um, who had a two-year stint, and, you know, things kind of went downhill for him there in Detroit. But, you know, other situations um, that are out there, Phoenix, um, you know, obviously that was touted the whole year, and the general manager uh, situation was also evident in that. Uh, program too so you can kind of see the trend happening the other thing is is I think that the NBA has kind of put out a directive about types of salaries they want paid to coaches and you know there's really a you know been a crackdown people talk about it in terms of player salary but it's also happening in in coaches and, and uh, you know basketball offices around the league that they're trying to cut back expenses in that area. So that's another thing that might be part and parcel of this trend that we see happening, which is unusual, highly unusual. Coach, Brian Shaw is is still an assistant coach. I mean, there have been – you look at some of the guys who have gotten head coaching jobs the past couple years. Jason Kidd leaves his playing career nine days later as the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. What – why hasn't Brian Shaw been – been hired yet by somebody to coach their team. Surely he's ready for this. Yes, I think that uh, you know he's you know had plenty of time. Ten years as an assistant coach. You know, played on some championship teams. Did a little scouting before he became an assistant coach, and 
you know, was associate head coach there in, in Indiana for the last two years. So, you know, he's he's had the responsibility and the and the work, and, and he's he's been in a number of different organizations that have had good coaching, and he's been you know um, taught I think good basketball by a lot of those coaches that he's had in the past, Larry Brown and. Um, you know, variety of, of guys that have been, you know, Mike Dunleavy, et cetera. So, um, you know, Brian's ready. It's, you know, it's, it's one of these things is so interesting is there are 30 owners, there's only 30 jobs. And I, how it appeals to an owner um, who, you know, allows or makes the ultimate decision or a general manager who makes the ultimate decision. I mean, in Atlanta situation, you saw Danny Ferry's there. In Atlanta, he's from the you know Spurs situation. Budenholzer was a natural choice because he's a San Antonio Spurs assistant coach. There's a lot of who you know and what you, not what you know so much in this game. And people want to have camaraderie and you know comfortable situation to work with. So Brian, you know, has uh, you know in Indiana, you know Larry Bird was there before Brian. Uh, pr- previously to this year, and Brian was a teammate of Larry's in Boston, and you know Larry was you know interested in having him come and, and be part of that organization. You know the next step he takes has got to be one that there's a connective tissue that brings him there. I, you know I, I've uh, talked to him a little bit. I've talked to his what his chances are, and uh, you know hopefully he's going to have a, a head coaching job. He's certainly ready, and I think he'll he'll be a good one. Yeah. Coach Jackson, and, and I, I want to say again, thanks for joining us here on the Hang Time Podcast. Taking it back to Game Seven of this this Finals, if if you're on the other side and you got LeBron James fighting to to repeat and win another championship with the Miami Heat, what do you do? How do you change your your style of defending him, or what do you do to to limit his effectiveness, knowing that what he does has such a huge impact on the rest of his teammates in terms of opportunities and how they play? Well, San Antonio's approached it exactly how, um, you know, I approached playing him. And, you know, I had a variety of people that have played LeBron over the years that don't have a great record against the team. <laughs> but I have, you know, a pretty good feel for, you know, how how to play him. And that's to always, you know, back up, back up, keep him out of penetration. If he gets into penetration, um, he's – awfully good around the basket and in the lane. And you really, the big key, you know, San Antonio had four turnovers in the first game, game number one. That limited what, you know, Miami could do in runouts. And uh, they're best in the open floor. They're just terrific at uh, driving that ball down, throwing it ahead, uh, finishing around the rim in an open floor situation. If you can get your defense and make it compact and keep them out of the middle and um, you know, that's the best possible, you know, thing that you can have. With LeBron last night, and the, when they spread the court out, he had open opportunities to be in the post, to drive, to tip an offensive rebound in, a variety of things he was able to score on, uh, you know, that all fit um, with the fact that they couldn't get their defense compacted and, and chuck it up. Uh, Leonard's done a real good job on him. He keeps backing up and saying, take the open you know, 15 to 18 foot jump shot. And uh, you can see LeBron's hesitant to do that. One, they don't have a lot of rebounders. Two, it's not 
you know, part of the game plan, part of the game plan is to open the door by penetrating and making the defense collapse and then hitting open teammates who are good three-point or open floor shooters. So, you know, you really uh, see San Antonio has done a good job. They, they do have to get this game into the 90s, uh, maybe even the high 80s if they're going to win. Right. Bill Jackson joining us here on the Hang Time Podcast. Coach, last thing, Rick Fox has been touting himself on our show this season as, uh, you know, arguably your favorite player that you've coached of all time. Can we verify any of these stories Rick has told about him being your favorite? He says that you would you'd validate that if we ever talked to you. So i got to ask, uh, where does Rick rank on your list, behind or above Jordan, Kobe? I mean, where does, where does Rick fit on that list? Well, you, you know, a lot of people don't recognize the fact that I made uh, Rick a co-captain. I had Shaq and Kobe on two ends of the spectrum for a couple of years, and I had, had Rick in the middle as the third co-captain. Now, the league only allows you two guys at half court, so Rick would belly out on that part, and, you know, he'd go up there and give credence to Shaq or Kobe, or if the, one of them were injured or out of the game which happened more often than you think about, you know, Rick was there. I, I really enjoyed Rick's play simply because he was, um, he's a schooled player. He likes fundamental. He works at his game. He uh, was always spirited, a real spirited player who loved the challenge to take on defensively people that were talented or scorers or whatever. And, you know, stepped up. I mean, there was a you know seventh game Western Conference Finals against Sacramento when you know Rick came to the bench and said, "I got this guy. Let me, let me have a, a couple opportunities to attack uh, Stojakovic," and so we went with him, and uh, you know he delivered. And that's the kind of thing that you know we really appreciate. Rick was not going to overrun the the scorebook by taking a lot of shots or by forcing the issue. He was out there to make the team policy work well and do um, and do his part. And as a role player, you can't ask for anything more as a coach. I've had a number of players like him that have been fortunately uh, really instrumental in ha- helping teams win championships. Uh, uh, Steve Kerr's and Bill Cartwright and John Paxson's and you know players like that. That uh, Ronnie Harper. Um, you know, didn't score big numbers, but were extremely important in how things got done on the floor because they knew how to make the things work that were executed out there. No doubt. Bill Jackson joining us on the Hang Time Podcast. Coach, thanks for, for coming on with us. Enjoy Game 7. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to you back in the league in whatever capacity it's going to be. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Legendary Lakers coach Bill Jackson joining us here on the Hang Time Podcast. Quality stuff. Looking forward to Game 7 of the finals. Can't get any better than the Lakers. Get a little chat in with Phil Jackson here on the Hang Time Podcast. 20 good minutes of him, you know, talking about everything that's going on around the league. You know, not just Game 7 and the finals and the Heat and the Spurs, but also, you know, the coach's situation around the league, Brian Shaw, when he's going to get a job. Doesn't sound like Phil is interested in coming back and joining the coaching ranks in the NBA, as he stated several times here. Um, but interesting perspective from him having – Coached a team that was in a game seven, you know, just a few years ago with the Lakers and the Celtics. And then kind of what he would do if he were in Popovich's shoes and had to defend LeBron. I thought that was pretty interesting as well. You and I were at that 
you and I were at that game seven in Los Angeles. Yes. A couple of years yeah. ago. Um, you know, I, I think it's been 35 years since a home team lost a game seven in the NBA finals. Uh, so I am curious to see if the Spurs can be the first team to do that in 35 years. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen in game seven. And, uh, I don't really want to make a prediction, although my bragging rights could be looking pretty good. <laughs> You're the only man alive in bragging rights, my friend. You are the last man standing. Don't think um, I was not thinking about that last night. <laughs> oh, believe me, I was thinking about it every second that the Spurs were going to win. Thinking to myself, Schumann is going to be texting me at any moment with his Spurs and six prediction and reminding us that yeah, he's the only guy who picked the Spurs to win in six. Oh, he mentioned he mentioned it down the stretch. Don't worry. <laughs> While we were sitting there, he mentioned <laughs> having that prediction. Uh, That's classic. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do. We've only had. That one game seven in the finals the past few years. Obviously, the Spurs and Pistons played a game seven. Um, that was pretty fantastic uh, as well. I, you know, I, I was at that one as well. And um, I, I just, I love the crucible that is game seven. Because to me, that's, you know, you think about in the history of the game, how many guys have had to get to that point, you know. Jordan never saw game seven in the finals. Never happened. You know, he, he always finished off whoever the Bulls were playing against before they got there. But right. to get to a game seven, man, that is the ultimate, you know, stage to me of, hey, you're going to show up and handle your business and not. And uh, LeBron's been great in closeout games. We saw the numbers. Um, but this is, this is different. This is a game seven in the finals, which is much different to me than just another closeout game because this one, you don't walk away from You know, people will forget that you lost the game seven in the first round or in the conference finals somewhere in your career, but that, that game seven in the finals will never go away. Always I think it, I, the, the thing I wrote today from practice was, you know, if you're the Spurs, there's history there on sort of like two different facets. Number one, uh, they know that they have a system and a way that they play, and they've played that way for, whatever, 15 years now and won four titles, and they know that they can rely on this. But then history also says that the, the visiting team isn't going to win the game seven. So there's almost like two things going against each other here where you see what's going to happen, how it's going to play out. I think the guy, you know, even last night at the end of the – during game six, going into the fourth quarter, uh, it, it was really kind of playing out as a referendum on LeBron. Sure. What kind of player he is, what kind of team he, he leader he is, and all that stuff. And so, I, I you know, in some way game seven is going to – it's always going to be about LeBron. Uh, I just – don't know if the headband's going to have to come off for him to uh, to, <laughs> to get everyone. He said he was going to start with it on, and if it comes off, it it comes off. But uh, we'll see what happens, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I thought the headband thing was interesting. Um, I thought there were so many – I mean, there was a thousand things we could have talked about, obviously, um, in game six alone, not even talking about what's to come in game seven. But I, I agree with you. I think, you know, we often hear this – Talked around. This is a legacy game. This, this is you know something that's going to define a guy's career. It's that you know, well, Game Seven of the Finals on Thursday night is going to define a lot of things about players on both sides, coaches on both sides, the whole nine yards. I think it's, I think it's all of it rolled into this one epic game. And I'm going to keep using the word epic, hope, hoping that we get an epic and not some 20 point blowout in either direction that really takes away from what has been a truly entertaining 
finals and uh, a really inter- interesting and roller coaster series that we talked about a couple weeks ago when it first got cranked up. This is this is how I want my finals, Lang. I want it to be <laughs> wild and crazy, and I want it to go seven, and I want somebody's hide to be on the line in that game seven. I want this to be somebody's defining moment, if possible, in their career. So we're going to get basically everything I've been asking for since we got started. It's going to be awesome. I mean, even if it is a blowout, I think as a whole, it's been a good finals. Um, even the blowout games, they they weren't four-quarter blowouts, really. You know, they were close for most of the games. Um, game six, I, it, it, I just don't know how you top it. I mean, being – being in that arena, that's one of maybe the best game I've ever been to in person. Just for all the crazy stuff that happened, uh, there was two or three or four times in the fourth quarter and overtime that Schumann and I just looked at each other and just kind of laughed, like you know, like like is this really happening? Like are we here and this is happening? And and you know, John tweeted, "I love my job." At one point, because <laughs> we were like, "This is amazing." Uh, so it'll be hard I to top that. Does. I hope it does top it, but I think it'll be hard to top it. Yeah. Well, I hope y'all didn't let somebody squat in my seat while I was gone. I, uh, your good friend was sitting to the left of your seat. Uh, and so I took the, we left your seat empty and I kind of just kind of leaned into that space as much as I could. <laughs> so we took full advantage of it. Appreciate it, man. I'm I'm hoping to never have to be an injury, injury, uh, from the finals again in my career. So. Can't ask for more, though. Uh, game seven of the finals on tap for Thursday. Phil Jackson, appreciate him coming on with us here on the Hang Time Podcast and sharing us some insights about the game and, and what he sees. Uh, never can get enough of listening to him talk about the game and the nuances and all the things that he's experienced throughout his illustrious career. So appreciate him joining us here on the Hang Time Podcast. Anybody see Rick Fox, tell him to call his boys. We miss him. And we'll see you right here next time on the Hang Time Podcast. Later. Thanks for listening to the Hangtime Podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. And be sure to check out the Hangtime blog on NBA.com. And as always, Sekuna Matata.